Thank you for tapping over to this episode. You know, there's something different and unique about the time we're living in. The pace of technology, our rapid global connectivity, it's all undeniable. Yet in our own hubris, our own sense of entitlement, will lull us into believing that also means we've reached peak humanity. Something that couldn't be further from the reality of it. Should we really be living in the best of times, given the amount of suffering and destruction that is required to sustain this moment, this can't be the best our species can offer. Tribal Chief Ron Good has expressed in both episodes with him that the ancestors in North America used to live within a symbiosis of the natural world they breathed in, intentionally crafting cycles of growth and destruction, quite literally terraforming the land into one that Europeans, when they came over, they found a continent thriving and teeming with life, especially when you got through the interior. With all of our advancements in technology that allow every aspect of our lives to exist, we've given up equal parts of utility from the traditions we threw out. Though, if you ask me, eventually we can't hide from ourselves. We can't hide from our nature. Many a philosopher and scientist have tried to find out what makes Homo sapiens different. Are we different than the rest of known life? One of the distinctions is that Homo sapiens are the animal that worships. As my often cited speech from David Foster Wallace, This is Water, he puts it perfectly plain. No matter what, everybody worships. Whether it's worshipping our own vain beauty by way of Instagram filters, status by way of our work contributions, the addiction that we run to at the first opportunity, or even the outrage cycle of politics, unknowingly just waiting for the next rage moment, or even worshipping at the altar of scientific advancement, Everybody is worshipping. What I like to contend, and steal again from Wallace, is that it's only in our choice that makes the difference. We can go on worshipping passively, completely unaware of what it is that is driving our actions, or actively put effort into what we worship. In this episode, we talk all about the active effort, the virtues or goodness in it, and how that can help shape our view of reality. The world we now live in is a world of hollow desires that have replaced any deep meaning. We consistently encourage the distract, indulge, and wrap ourselves in comfort. I think the trick is to exist in the world, but hammer the steel that is our mentality that frames our reality not to become that world. Which, even though the moment we live in is different, that's really the same for any time. If we're existing in a dark age, wrapped up in a feudal system, dragged down with a literal chain on your neck, or a senator at the height of some republic, the spirit of whatever time we're in can easily become the destruction of our own selves and surrender to the tide of it. Now, I'm not an advocate for religion. I'm an advocate for transcendence, reaching what is higher than anything we can possibly understand, know, seek, or hold on to. Surely, at some point in your life, you've experienced this. If it was seeing something truly majestic for the first time, like the Grand Canyon, that concert that seemed to lift our spirit, or even just a movie that touched and altered how we see the world, that's what we should seek, what we should hammer away to build. See, what I also think is special about our time is that individuals are reaching for that type of transcendence again. 
by whatever way ignites and fuels their passions. If it's the teachings of Jesus, Stoicism by the way of Ryan Halliday, or some other set of ideas for the world. See, there are many paths and many ways to enrich our lives. But, as everything, it starts with trying. This episode embodies that, and has left me wondering further on how to go about it in my own daily practice. In this conversation, I'm joined by a friend of mine, Richard Crazy Thunder, to talk about all things Christianity, Jesus, religion, philosophy, and what utilities all of those ancient ideas have for living in a modern society of silicone. We touch upon the complexity of our time and the false security that we have crafted in which we say we're a higher order species, yet are still unable to handle nuclear weapons, let alone the issues we're ignoring with plastics or pesticides and their damage to the earth. While touching a bit upon Shakespeare, Epicureanism, and the misunderstanding of what it really prescribes, the teachings of Jesus, and how to escape our suffering by way of reaching for something larger than ourselves. This episode will pair quite nicely with another episode that will be happening in this season with returning guest Professor Seal Brand, in which he expands the connection between Christianity and the state government. But that's for later. But for now, we'll get to this conversation. Thank you for listening, and I hope this finds you on the path to thriving on this big, beautiful third rock from the sun. Real quick before the episode begins, if you like what you hear, please tap that follow or subscribe button. You also can find this episode, all episodes in the series, or check out our daily minute podcast by visiting us at bandwidth.productions. Um, cool. Well, thank you very much for coming on. Uh, I'm going to ask you a question and then we're going to see what fractal dives of ancient history we get into. Um, but what do you like to do that makes you happy? I read. Hmm. What in particular are you reading now? that's making you happy. Well, uh, funny enough is, um, I'm diving deep into theology, particularly Christianity, right? So there's a lot of venerated saints and theologians and philosophers, um, that, you know, I've kind of naturally come upon, uh, because as you and I have talked before, um, you know, I, I uh, had fallen in love with Plotinus and Pla- Neoplatoism, right? Going all the way back to Plato, uh, talking about the, the realm of the immaterial. And really that path kept, no matter where I went, even in terms of studying about Islam and all of that, everything led me right back to Christianity. So that's, that's where I've been diving into as of late. Wow, we're going to get right into it right away. There's like, not even missing a beat. Um, can you explain Neoplatonism to me? Neoplatoism. So Neoplatoism, right, it started off really, uh, traditionally started off with a guy named Plotinus, right? Um, a philosopher from like, I think from Egypt is where they think that he was born. Fourth uh, century, right, AD, um, who had really been, uh, I mean, re- really he was a big fan of Plato. Right. It seems to be an antiquity. There's the Aristotle camp and the Plato camp. Right. Um, and I think at least coming from where where I'm familiar is it really does boil down to whether whether, you know, the realm of the immaterial, whether there is kind of like a higher plane for which we are all living this almost uh, 
foreshadowed right uh going back to the allegory of the cave that's where plato plato talks about right like there is a perfect realm what i think most christians would call kind of heaven right there's we are almost like a derivative of that ultimate simplified perfection um and then aristotle is more like "Mm, no not really there's not really an intrinsic tie between you know like a, 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 a a disembodied soul and you know that no Right, and and many 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 scientists and philosophers would say that Aristotle is kind of the father of modern day scientific method through his very keen observations and his kind of like the way that uh, he had a pattern or a framework to break things down in his different treatises and his different writings. So, especially his um, mentality, I would actually even say his mentality. So, like I always encourage people to read, start reading ancient history with Aristotle because you're gonna it's gonna seem like it's modern. And it's going to throw you for a loop because you're going to read it and you're going to be like, oh my God, this was 2000 years ago? Like what? Um, and the reason for that is because we've, our entire like ethos in the way that we think is Aristotelian. Even like our universities, all of that is all based off of, you know, deterministic logic, which is all him. Um, so that's, that's interesting. Uh, I'm so geeked for this already. Um, okay. So Neoplatonism is a refounding of ideas of the surrounding the immaterial is that a way of that's how i would describe it yes because it really is focused on the idea of a simplified one what we call god essentially right and the way that material and immaterial existence kind of emanates right how you think like there's these waves of emanation and you circle back to go back home to re re uh, reunite with 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 god and it, it's a little bit kind of like a gnosticism for christianity but the the gnostics believe that like living and material is is evil right it's some kind of evil force and there's kind of like a light side and a dark side but ultimately they're like oh well if you're the good prevails you go back to the one um merge back with god and and the neoplatoists they, they, they don't i mean they, they talk about evil and the diabolic only in the sense that it's anything that separates you from the simplicity of trying to get back to to the divine to that central source point which is what we call god the godhead the demiurge whatever you want to call it right um and it really is it's it's a um it's really the first way of describing how um when you think philosophically and logically about how if there is a creator then that creator is going to be completely outside of the realm of the limits of what we define as reality and existence right because it had to have been there before we were created so it's literally outside of universal existence there's no way that we can see touch hear, or even physically experience the one because it's beyond being and it's this almost very appeal to a higher authority is another way of saying it, right? Modern day religions is, um, they almost say that in like the, the 12 step program for Alcoholics Anonymous. Is they do, up, they say exactly that. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and really what it is, is it's not so much, oh, well, God will heal you, right? It's saying, hey, you know, you are kind of at the, you're at the whims of these kind of like this flesh-based need to consume, right? To be stimulated or whatever. And you really don't have any control over that, right? That's part of being alive and a human. So once you let go of that, oh, well, I can just get over this, right? It's a, it's a thing that I can just let go. That opens you up to get out of your own way, right? Instead of being like, oh, I'm going to, with a death grip, hold on to the wheel and stop this car from careening off the mountain. And you realize you don't have any control over that, right? Momentum of whatever you're doing is going to 
carry you over the precipice and you just have to accept that fact. And I think that that's what tells people whether they're they're associating that with a religion that tells the same story or with a program like Alcoholics Anonymous, which is get out of your own way, stop trying to control everything and follow the instinct of what you're experiencing so you can have a good response, a positive response that you want or need. Yeah, it's not like there's any right or wrong solution that we're all deviating from. Life is life. It's what we make of it. There's no right. right or wrong way to live it. And there's common denominators, though. And those common denominators can be very useful. Like right. if you submit to uh, David Foster Wallace says it calls it this. and I like it like this, which is uh, the universal oneness in all things. Like mm-hmm. the, the sense that at a certain base level, everything is connected to one single thing. Um, you can get real wacky with it, with like the energetic frequencies and actually what we are and how, uh, you know, there's a, seems to be like a harmony and a symphony, everything from the atoms and the dance that your atoms are in your body all the way and how that circles up into galaxies and, and dust and all that kind of stuff. Um, but there is something fundamental that is a throughput of all of it. There has to be, there has to be some single bottom layer when you get all down to it. The thing that's fascinating to me about what you just said is how similar that is to like Taoism which is similar to Buddhism, which is similar to Hinduism, um, which is even similar to like Epicurean, Epicureanism, which is really like one of the things that I like about uh, Lucretius's On the Nature of Things is he pretty much says, and I'm summarizing at the beginning part, but he's like, I'm going to tell you the science of everything. There's like atoms, there's atoms that build up to things, those things build up to form, those forms, you know, interact with each other, there's form and void, there's like the space between there's nothing, then there's things. And that is everything. That's all the things. So now that you know that, submit to it. And now go try to be a good person. <laughs> That's, and I'm going to show you all the things in which to be a good person. Because once you understand the basicness of everything around you, you can understand that at a certain level, it's all the same. And it's now what you do with the choices that you make that actually matter to try to reach what they would. I think it's mistranslated that they say like pleasure is like Epicureanism. I actually think the right word is bliss. And then I'm actually taking from uh hinduism and buddhism which is like the ultimate form of meditation is bliss and it's which is like think of it it's like higher than pleasure it's higher than contentment it's just the what they say is connected to this universal oneness and just a different uh medium if you will than what you're talking about with the neoplatonists yeah the um uh, you, you mentioned the Epicureanism, and I'm glad you did. My, my, so my understanding of Epicureanism, right, because I, I too don't like the fact that it's a, it's a negative connotation that's, as far as I'm concerned, is, is inaccurate, as you pointed out. Uh, Epicurean to be, uh, you know, they say, oh, well, you're Epicurean-type pursuit or personality. It means that you want to be like a, a hedonist who just pursues bodily pleasures to reckless abandon. That is completely false. That's not what Lucretius, that's not what that, that house of philosophy stood for. What they we're saying is that the purpose of life is to avoid pain and suffering and to moderately seek pleasure and joy. And that could be happiness and peace and all that. It's not like, you know, just, oh, you know, I'm in an orgy 24-7 or <laughs> I gluttonously eat every every item at the buffet of the feast and all that. That's not – and when you think about it, it's kind of true. We all, most of us, avoid pain. If it's painful, whether it's psychological or particularly physical, you could say it's almost an evolutionary trait to avoid pain and suffering. Uh, so that way you could prosper and, and live in bliss and reproduce and do all that stuff, be safe. Um, totally. The, w- we're, and I think that there's validity there. However, there are some – if we were all focused on strictly living in a little bubble, we wouldn't have been pushed to innovate 
right, and invent things to deal with the changing uh, magnitude of issues, whether that's like the extreme climate change because of a volcano that blew up over in the Pacific, and now we have a mini, a mini ice age or something and crop failures. Uh, life doesn't can do, life isn't set up enough to be like, okay, I can fit inside this. Well, we'll just avoid the unpleasant. That's one thing. And two, really the big thing that, right. yeah, exactly. Um, the, the big thing though, uh, that I don't like with Epicureanism is that basically they, they're, they're strict materialists, right? So the Epicurean house of philosophy doesn't really buy into the whole, we have a greater purpose, a, a maker, you know, something that is a, a creator. They, they basically believe that we are a probable statistic anomaly in an infinite universe. And they got it right with the atomists, with Democritus and all that. And they're like, yeah, we're tiny little indivisible things that randomly assemble. We rise and we fall like the wheat in the fields. And it's just kind of the way that it happened. And there are people many people in academia right now who, who would say, yep, that's valid because the term God and divine and all that stuff is like, now it's a dirty word in an academic environment, which is unfortunate. Um, yeah, I, I don't fall into that. I don't think that that, that lines up. There's too much beautiful, intricate org, uh, orchestration in all of science. Uh, I mean, just thinking about the double helix of the of DNA, right? What causes these atoms that have no consciousness right? No intent where their natural state is to be completely and totally motionless. I remember in, in my first physics class in college, the, the professor said on the first day, matter is lazy. It wants to do nothing, a natural state. That's why we have like a sphere. The reason a sphere in earth is because it's the laziest, most energy efficient shape for matter to take and place and avoid, right? It turns into kind of like a sphere. Um, so, uh, it doesn't make any sense that material atoms would just come together and create this beautiful thing that, that adds up to life. All of these things which must be hit with precision in order for life to exist, for consciousness to arise. And that's a statistical anomaly? I'm like, come on, people, come on. But to, to, to say it any other way, to entertain it any other way, has to open yourself up to the ridicule of not being right. And that's not good in academia for the business of it, because you got to push the papers and every university has got to be on the bleeding edge of discovery. So it's an inconvenient house of knowledge and ex exploration in what has become an industrialized, you know, marketplace for diploma mills. And yeah, yeah, it's not it's not know, academia like uh, profiteering. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's not academia like uh, the academy, which is, you know, what I mean, it's not it's, there's no olive groves and. Uh, you know, uh, symposiums, like, no, it's, it's definitely just a factory mill, but no, I completely agree with you with Epicureanism. It's, it, it, it's rings hollow as far as any sense of a soul. Um, which is why I think so many people over the years, and even at the time used it as an excuse for heathenism because I mean, so the, I actually reached for this, uh, was it Martin Ferguson Smith, his translation of, uh, on the nature of things. It's fantastic by the way. Uh, if, if all you read, honestly, is the introduction to this, you will learn so much about our time. And it sounds crazy, um, but you will. And what um, one of the things that he points out in the intro is how uh, Lucretius just tries to make the distinction that, you know, pleasure that in the Epicurean sense is about the highest pleasure. So it's about like, you know, he uses an example of like a father making decisions. Sometimes the father makes decisions that in the moment are bad for the kid that the kid doesn't like, and it, you know, is putting them through stress and struggle, but in the long term, it's gonna, you know, show them perseverance or something, right? It's teaching them a longer lesson, um, which is great. Um, 
but it's 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 interesting though um that even still that epicureanism is gone that construct that you were just talking about is almost the same that's in the scientific mind or at least like the sci- like the pure scientific thing is that everything is materialist we can figure everything out we can come down to the bottom and at the end of the day there's no soul there's no uh was it breath of life isn't that what it is in uh genesis or not genesis uh whatever the adam and eve story that's genesis isn't it yeah something like that or what the greeks would call pneuma right the force the divine force that perpetuates motion when you go back to the ancients right like there's a guy named avicina well we call him avicina i can't remember in arabic um what it what it is it's not important but in latin and all of that and in europe uh we call him avicina and um aristotle all the way through motion is a key right and and they think about it almost newtonian what is the cause of motion to put an object from a state of rest into motion and then you can derive all philosophically you can really cover a lot of ground around just observing the the the, the most simple mechanics of nature which that's kind of where newton started was with the laws of motion um, and it, it really is the most observable, this thing here that I am perceiving in this whatever called consciousness in this temporary moment for which I am aware, me, the individual, whatever that means, right? Um, you know, I see this thing and it's oop, going like this. Why? Where? How does that happen? You know, um, and then that can take you all the way back up to the idea of there is and there isn't. Well, in order to not be, that must mean that there must have something to be to compare it to. So now you're like in quite the conjury. It's a chicken and egg scenario uh, almost. Really, that's exactly what it is, but it's much bigger than that, of course. And then that's immediately, that's where you go, there has to have been a creative force in order for us to have this binary of to be and not to be, which Shakespeare got it right. There really is the question. Shakespeare got a lot right. Like, yeah, I love that this already went to Shakespeare. Um, yeah, the, uh, you know, the way that I've been thinking about motion lately is that it's actually time. I've been starting to muse around the idea of the fact that, so Einstein was always talking about the unified field theory. Like what's one unified idea. And I wonder if the unified idea is actually something around time. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? Like time is literally everything. Like nothing exists without time and time is motion. Time is, time is reality actually. Time is reality for us. And the only reason time exists is because we are, we're, we're, we're we're temporal, right? We're, we're mortal. Everything's temporal though. The laws of physics do not break down without the with the absence of time. It, time is not a, a a primary factor that is a constant within any of the laws of physics. You can remove within, time within our deterministic constructs of mathematics applied to reality. But does reality exist without time? Yes, because time is just a measurement for us. Does uh, time has no meaning for for right? It, it, time is a unit of measurement for us, so that way we can account for the passage of our lives, not the passage of the life of the sun or the solar system or the universe. It all has to do, it's relative to us as humans from birth to death. If we lived forever, we would have no need for time. It wouldn't have any bearing on... No, no, but time still exists. We can't escape it. It's relative. That's part of the laws of those physics is so if time exists relative to what? It it, it exists relative to, to, to what? It's relative to the observer for us. Yes, because, no, it's definitely relative to the observer, but it's relative to the observer insofar as, um, okay, wait, let me make a definition. There's no observer, does time exist to be relative to? 
Well, I think if you go to the space where time exists, you're in, doesn't exist, you're in the universal oneness. But if you're outside <laughs> of that, I think time is everything. Yeah, time time's tricky. It, it, it is. Uh, and, and thinking about time and the value of it and what it means to us, I think, is another path that will get you to at least contemplating or thinking about the role of the divine. Totally. That's usually most people get there in the last like six months of life when they're like, oh my God, this is actually getting serious here. I should. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and if you wanted to, to say, okay, you know, naturalists, right. And you want to talk about evolution. I believe in evolution. Right. But again, I don't believe in the randomness of evolution, right? Like we're all just some things floating around here in a vacuum and bouncing off of one another in a, in a chaotic system, com just completely up to the elements of, of variance. Um, I think that there's some kind of intent. We're never going to know it. We're way too, in deep too small in it to ever be able to see it the same way that you'll never be able to see an atom because it's smaller than the wavelengths of light we'll never be able to quote unquote look at an atom and go "Ooh, look at that look at those angles it's just impossible it's outside the realm of the limits of our create of where we exist and i think that some of those topics especially when it comes to mortality and like you said universal oneness we can experience it but not materialistically Right. And this is where you talk about like meditation, prayer yes. and all of that. It's the universe internally, because that's the real question when it comes to living and being is what the consciousness, right? This aware instance for which we are all participating in a group experiment of whatever it is, because when you die, right, your body is still here and then it melts away and gets consumed. So we can account for that in terms of the realm of just the material, but where do you, I'm using quotes here, where do you go? This inseparable part of this meat bag we call a body, right? And your mind, what part of you is inseparable from the rest of quote unquote you to which your body and your existence here is no longer the old quote unquote you? Is it just your current attitude and your dispositions that add up to our unique identity, our personality, one amongst many? And that's a question science can't and probably will never be able to define because consciousness is not materialistic. It holds no mass. Awareness consumes and occupies no volume of space. Scientifically, it is the definition of immaterial. So that's where, if I'm talking to somebody about religion, that's where I always start. And I think that's where the churches and organized religion and all of that need to come back to. It's not about the dogma or the hierarchy of control or the rules and regulations associated with it. It's the philosophical, most important, yet simplest of questions, which is, who are you? You know, in terms of your self-awareness, are you just a physical person? Are you just your mind and your brain? And this is just a vessel for your brain to get around in on this earth? Uh, probably not, right? Because you can lose pieces of your brain. You can lose your whole body, be completely paralyzed, right? And still be, quote unquote, you. Not changed at all. You just can't get around as easily. So that's this question of identifying that. And it's not an easy question to answer, which I think is one reason why scientists just avoid it altogether, because they know that it's not a winning an argument that they can win. Because no. it's deeper than that. You can't measure consciousness with a yardstick. You have to turn inwards and you have to start measuring with non-quantitative units of measurement qualitatively. And that's, mm, they don't like that. They don't like that because they can't verify it. And it's like, well, it's if fair. we're talking about your life 
and your experience, do we need it to be a group consensus when ultimately this is a singular experience from birth to death? No one else is participating in this ride with you. You come into the world alone and you go out alone in terms of your own personal experience. No one can jump into your head and your soul and buckle up and take the ride with you. So does it really, really matter that we have uh, it, what scientifically needs a peer-reviewed consensus on you know the meaning of life no that's hilarious i don't believe that we do the peer-reviewed consensus of the meaning of life that is that's a way of never getting the answer that's that's really great um so. i couldn't agree with you more i mean it's it it's clear that the space between what is in our mind and what is in the world there's a space between that that we can't seem to see it's like the uncanny canny valley in some way and something that I really like, it's like a, uh, like a psychology, psychology saying to like help you get you out of your head, but it's, um, you are not your thoughts. And I think I like that a lot. And I feel like our base identity, like right now, everyone's talking about identity to like the, the cows come home, um, or to the oatmeal comes home. Um, and like what really I think our identity is, is who you are at your absolute core still stillness. Like that's what they call it. Talk about in the Buddhism is you want to be still stillness. Like who you are in that absolute still state is closer to who you are. Like even who you are, like sometimes people will say like who you are in like crazy scenarios and when, you know, adrenaline's flooding and all that, that's really who you are. And it's like, no, it's not, not even that is that's a representation of your trauma that you've been at before other times that you're experiencing the trauma you're experiencing now. That's not necessarily who you are. That's not your essence, your soul. Um, and yeah, I think it's really like, the question is really like, who are you right now? Who are you as a person? Cause who you are as a person is more closer to who you are as this meat vessel and this meat vessel. Like, um, I can't think of the author's name, but he wrote this book, the body keeps the score that my wife got me, uh, Intrudes me to I haven't read it though. Um, but the consensus of it is that your body actually holds trauma from the events that you're traumatically experiencing. So like you're, when you're, when you go through a traumatic event and you have post-traumatic stress from it, your body actually, your mind, you mentally might be over that, but you get triggered and your body is going to send you back into that same state that you were during that traumatic experience. And his whole thing is like, you heal the body, you heal the mind and it, it's, you're, you're good. So I think who you are as a person is much closer to that physical reality holding you down like a weight around your neck right but then there's who you are as a soul and that's something that religion has kind of co-opted from us and we are now unwilling to bring it back right but that's really what it is like what is your soul because that is totally different and all of our souls are much closer together and even the souls of animals are closer to that sense of what it is than the layers of confusing identity which is really just our biological meat processes reaching for tribalism because that is what kept us safe for our evolution right and that i think is the distinction that we forget because we just wrap everything in these you know definitions and then we keep rolling around with it as opposed to sitting and examining of okay what am i experiencing this anxiety that i'm experiencing day in and day out the stress that i'm experiencing day in and day out that that might be who i am as a person but it's not who i am as a soul i am not those thoughts this body is those thoughts. And I then you can start breaking that problem down to get around it and improve it. But the first thing I think is just accepting, like you, like you said in the beginning of this, like the AIA, like submitting to a higher power. Like, like I think a lot about this, like 
if there is or isn't a God, okay? If you want to be an atheist, you don't want to be an atheist, I don't care. The one thing I would love to have a discussion about, you, the impersonal you here, is it's useful to act as if there is a God. It is incredibly useful for you to act like there is a higher power that you want to submit to in order to do something. It's even useful to like think that there's like other other forms around that, right? Like that people are inherently good and to find empathy and to, to do that, like all of that you can build as constructs that are very useful in order to maintain a healthier, sounder, and more prosperous life. But we tend to fall into these, I like what you said, hierarchies of the dogma and the rules and like the, you know, it's so interesting that like we talk, we use the word Byzantine as like a highly complex legislative system when really what that just is a representation of is the church that we started in, enshrining all these different laws that we had to abide by that we then just click, double clicked and copy pasted into our government system. And then now we're just rolling around with both two ends of the same dragon and wondering why people are feeling unfulfilled at church services. It's like, none of this is actually getting to the point. Like, not, like maybe this is helping me get through another couple of days here, but what's going to help me get, like keep me going for the next six months thinking about existence. And especially now when everything's fucking chaos. Yeah. It's, it's almost like, the modern um, organized religions, right, that are that are dominant, are they're 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 like ruins, ancient yes. ruins. Like That's they're they're way. there. The framework is there and all that, but it's crumbling, and the halls are empty of of a meaningful gathering that they were originally intent to support and be a part of. So it's almost at least like the Abrahamics, right? Yeah, we're we're in like a fall of what I would call a philosophical and religious, you know, civilization. Uh, materialism, distractions, I mean, you know, TikTok, Twitter, Facebook, all of these things. It's like the more connected we've gotten digitally, the farther away and isolated we've become realistically in terms of a community, right? And this is all about distractions, distractions from our lives, distraction from the interior life. It is difficult, challenging, and scary to stop, like you said, the moment of silence. There's a reason why all of these world religions, um, both East and West, put such a great emphasis on being quiet and still, right? And so that way, for one, because you can start exercising your will, most people fail at the very simple test of sit and be silent for 30 seconds and don't think about anything. Most people fail. They, they fail miserably at that. They can't sit for more than 10 seconds without some invasive thought coming down into their brain, and then they can't help themselves like a magnet against metal. They just cling to it, and they start entertaining it and chewing on it, and then boom, there you go. You know, now now you're, you're, you're a, you're, your will has no control over the randomness that is a human mind. The, One thing I want, the, I want to jump in right here is that even the best masters still have that experience. Right. You like can never you, stop it. No. Like if you, if you read even Siddhartha, like the OG Buddha, he'll mention that thoughts will come in and sometimes they'll be, uh, I think he says like pleasurable or like desirable or like, but it's just like mental masturbation. It's just like ruminating on a worry or, or, or fantasizing about something that could happen or those type of things. Like those things happen even to the best of us. And the point is, is that's the material world holding you down again and mm -hmm. try to transcend that, try to, try to push past that. And, and really like, like my Twitter handle, like all of these things that like my mental pattern of thinking about the world, it's, it's my handle on everything is trying to be good. I'm trying. And I think that's really what reality and existence is, is that you have to just keep trying 
every moment is a Sisyphean effort. You're going to roll something up. It's going to go right back down again, right? Like, you know, escaping suffering, like you can't escape suffering. The Buddhists always say like, you can't escape it. You got to try to transcend it, which sounds like a little paradoxical, like little twist. The Zen Buddhists always like say things that make no sense. And they like reference pebbles and it's like a haiku or whatever. But really the thing is, is that you can't escape it. You only have to transcend it. So um, it's, it's really interesting. Also how, to your point about relics, like if people try to hold me down and pin me down and say like, well, you seem religious. Like I'll get this occasionally. Like most of the time people like think that I'm like some kind of like new age atheist from like, just, I don't know, maybe now I have like long hair, so it keeps that going. Um, but like they'll initially have that knee jerk reaction and then they'll go through a phase of like, oh wow, you seem like you are really into theology. And then the next phase is like, are you a Christian? Like, are you Christian? Or I'll meet other people. Like the person who used to live behind me asked me at some point, cause we were just riffing about the Bible. He's like, are you a Christian? And I was like, no, not really. But what I do say that I am is I've read a lot about different things. I was raised Catholic. And if I talk about like more, my core knee jerk beliefs and honestly the beliefs that I, and ethics that I try to foster is that of like original teachings of Jesus. Because I mean, I'm, I'm in the Western culture. So it's in, it's actually ingrained everywhere. We look around left and right. That's actually Christianity. Christianity built all this actually. Mm -hmm. It was like Christianity, commerce and colonialism built all of this. Right. Um, so you can't escape it from that realm. I was raised Catholic. You get a lot of it that way. But also when I've really examined a lot of different things, like what he's at, what Jesus actually said is so simple and so um, concise and useful. Like I really like Alan Watts's um, analogy that uh, Hinduism, I'm sorry, that Buddhism is Hinduism stripped for export and that Christianity is uh judaism stripped for export let's get down to the base factors let's just talk about what this is and also jesus was like talking to slaves and women and people with no status and saying like look like you're not going to be able to change your life I, I can't help you get out of this this is the system around you is this you can't change it what you can do and how you actually will change this whole thing is by focusing on what you is in your control and what is in your control is to be a good person and that will flow through the rest and that will change everything. But you have to just be focused on what you can control and let go of everything else. And that's why I like the thing that I think about most is especially when the world is going crazy as it is, is be in the world, but not of it. I can't help, but I am in this reality. I am in this space, but I'm not, I'm going to not let it get to me. I'm not going to let it affect me. I know what my core self is. And what has come out now is this weird amorphous thing. Like I, I had uh, Dr. Diane Stewart on the podcast a couple times in the last time she was on, I got to ask her the question of, do you think Jesus thought he was Christ? And the thing that my wife will even say uh, to other people when they get on her nerves is Jesus wasn't Christ. Like <laughs> Jesus wasn't Christ, like as in the savior, he didn't consider himself a savior. If anything, he just kind of considered himself a rabbi, but we've put him up as this intermediary of he's the savior, he's the one that will save you and, and absolve your skins. And through that use of submitting them to this certain place, we've allowed it to be the excuse for a lot of laws and rules and bastardizations of his actual teachings. So that's why I make that distinction. Um, and yeah, that was a long riff. 
No, no worries. Um, he said a couple. Of, that's the thing about active listening is something comes up and you're like, ooh, I want to talk about that. But then you don't want to just turn off what you're saying. So there's a couple of exits here that I wanted to go on, but they're, they're, they're long gone. They're in the review mirror. So no point in going back. Um, you can no, go yeah. back. Keep doing it. Well, I can't fine. remember. <laughs> I keep a notepad for these type yeah, of things. I, I probably should. The next one, yeah. I definitely will. Um, the um, that's what keeps it organic. Yeah, it, it does. It sounds like you're you're, you're quoting scripture almost, mm-hmm. um, and that's that's great. Yeah, the beatitudes are absolutely those are Jesus's teaching. If somebody were to ask me about Christianity, what's Christianity all about? Right? What was Jesus all about? I would point them to the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. Yes. And what he's talking about yes. there's, and you said it too. It's all up in both the Old Testament and the New to not be. Um, to, to, to not be of the world, right, but to just be in it. And, and like you said, too, realizing what you can't control, right, and this all comes to us being completely self-centered and being like, ooh, I'm special, I'm unique. Like, no, you're not. There's Now there's 8 billion of us out there. We've been around for hundreds of thousands of years. You're one in an infinite multitude, right? You are not special. None of us are special, and that's the whole point. That's the that's what Jesus and God in the Old Testament are trying to say: is you are not special, and you need to realize that, and you need to give homage to the fact that we don't know what's going on, and focus on the things that will keep us from tearing each other apart. That's why the Israelites, and they talk about it so much in the Old Testament, like God's chosen people, you know, Zion, and everything. It's not so much about like I don't think I do not believe that God is tracking every like you know, genealogical Jew out there, according to one of the 12 tribes or whatever, and playing favorites. I think what he's talking about is this community of people who have decided to focus on what's important, community, right? Which is why even with the multiple diasporas out there, the the Jewish community has been able to maintain uh, continuity, regardless as to what's happening to them, who's persecuting them, who's enslaved them, who's thrown them out of their borders and chased them across all of Europe. They still have that bonding community. That's the, one of the main purposes behind religion, which is probably one reason yes. why we're tearing ourselves apart in Western civilization, because yes. we let it go. Religion, the church, organized religion has a, 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 a valid and primary purpose behind the community, which is human civilization, which has only been around for a couple thousand years. And we're walking around like we've been like, like we're Star Trek and it's just been the norm for, for hundreds of thousands of years. And it's not, we're still figuring it out. We're, we're babes in terms of having a civilization. We're babes with a loaded gun because now we got nuclear weapons and we don't have the discipline of long-term stability and a sense of organization that we all share this planet. So you can't fire off some nukes and destroy your enemy over the horizon without killing all the rest of us yourself included and that kind of maturity just like an adult comes on the back of time and learned lessons but we haven't had a stable enough civilization i mean western civilization america has only been around for a couple of centuries basically that's not long no it's like less than half the time for the western roman empire to fall yeah. So it's, it's some perspective there of how we don't have it figured out. And no. I think religion has an important part of keeping us together and keeping that perspective, right? This, 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 the, the, these almost going back to history back before Homer, it was written down, is this through word and interaction where people would get together around a fire or on a stage somewhere in like, you know, old Macedon or something like that. And they're, they're, you know, they're talking about this, they're sharing experiences. So it's the, it's the sharing, the preaching, so to speak, of the poet or the actors, but it's also the fact that the community is coming around and hearing the same thing at the same time and then walking away from it and digesting it together. 
You can't yes. do that with a TikTok or a tweet, no. right? It's an echo chamber. It's just you, and you can't bounce your ideas and perception off of everyone else. So you're literally your what your perception and your misperception becomes your ingrained as your only reality. We didn't yes. evolve in a vacuum individually and the with without a concerted effort to control how we're starting to evolve as humans in this in a, in a civilization a multitude it's gonna we're, we're careening towards a reconciliation with that fact and we're either going to be extremely divided and individualistic like living in a communist state with our own universal things and you're shoved something like a black mirror kind of thing right where you've got your tiny little cube and all of your technology that's bombarding you with distraction stuff and you you become nothing more than a hamster in a wheel churning out energy for the machine uh, or we can be a little less secure and a little less distracted but have more fulfilling lives it's funny how we've set up so much of our civilization around trying to push the limits of mortality when we know that's a losing battle regardless as to what you do, right? We, we all leave the stage inevitably, but we're like changing up the entire experience in the hope of getting a little bit of extra time at the end. Usually when you're already decrepit and suffering and you got cancer, so you really what you're doing is you're just pushing out for most people – the amount of suffrage you have at the end of a life that you know you can't stop. You can't stop it. We all die. No matter what we do, we die. We have to die. That's a part. We can see the universe. It's a cycle of existence in this reality is birth, growth, decay, ending. And then it's over and over and over again. If we hadn't followed that cycle in the universe, we would never have any atoms more massive than iron, right? They would just all be just big stars, and that and that's it. And they would never, never change, and we don't, and, and life wouldn't exist. So, it's 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 recognizing these facts, so that way you can stand up and go, "Whoa, this isn't right." And unfortunately, that takes a lot of it. Take you have to have an education to begin with to stand up and turn off, like we were talking about here, turning off the invasive thoughts, learning how to put up a barrier to shield yourself from the rain of distractions and false attitudes and, and perspectives of people trying to push their reality on you because it validates their experience. Instead of coming together and turning inward together and realizing that we have no control over anything other than how we perceive the world of stimulation around us. And that that reminds me that I wanted to bring up uh, Epictetus, right, with the, the art of living. And that's what he's really talking about, you know, because he was a slave. He spent almost his entire life as a slave until he won, was awarded his freedom. Um, and he basically came up to say, hey, I've experienced the worst of it. And I realized that you can be totally happy and continue to live in the world of suck because it really is what you make of it. And that's what Christians believe. And as you said, that's kind of what Buddhists and Hinduists believe. And that's that it's really it's just dealing with the now. And turning, you have control over whether you enjoy this experience or you are miserable in it. Yes, totally. All right. And it's simple, but not down. easy. Simple, but not easy. Go ahead. Found, it's foundational. But yeah, yeah. I, I, I like uh, using the word foundational instead of simple because it's it gives a better construct of what you're actually talking about. Because it's like, yeah, what I'm talking about is totally simple. Yeah, it's one plus one equals two. However, it's so essential that you diminish it because it's obvious. And I think the obvious is the most important. Um, all right. So I'm going to go back a ways. And you said that the, you are not special, that Jesus was saying you are not special. I'll challenge that actually a little bit and say that there's this other um, uh, playwright, Roman playwright, who was a slave and won his uh, freedom from his pen 
um, and was the basis for the term the penny is mightier than the sword and his, he was terence and he mm-hmm. wrote um he has this line that I, I like a lot that it's i am human therefore nothing human is alien to me and that's what they mean by you are not special is that your human existence is no different than any other human existence yep. and what you what, what you how you feel and what you think you know your impulses are and everything is actually no different however your experience is unique to you and what you can bring to the world because of your experience is unique to you so you are special you are special with what you do with this gift of time like i like to think of myself as an artist and my medium is time so what i do with my day is how i create it's my canvas and you know my movements my choices my decisions are the paint and brush strokes and i think in that sense it's the truthful paradox like i think par- truth is paradox and the paradox is you are you're not special really you're human you have decisions you, what drives you and motivates you you may not like it it's actually no different than anybody else however what you can do with that is uniquely you and uniquely yours and your combination of that that, that sums up your experience in this flash that we're here is what is what makes you special in you and that is what your soul is able to experience while it is in this earthly realm of whatever the fuck this is. Um, and now when you transcend that, you're going to go back, presumably, we think, we can spot, we can ponder to whatever is this universal oneness, um, which I can get into like Orion and the Mississippi culture and uh, ancient Egypt, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep going with my, nose, my notes and then we can go wherever else. Um, you mentioned a little le- less secure in the um, Black Mirror analogy. The couple things that I would say is actually what you described is already here, um, depending on where you're at. Like if you're in China, you live in Black Mirror. And if you are in America and are addicted to social media and things like that, you're pretty much just running through exactly the scenario where you're just running on sugar, processed foods, and social media in short bites. And it's sad. And I have a lot of empathy for you. But that is a trying existence that is no different than a slave uh, in a lot of ways. And... um, the comment about a little less secure is I think security is a paradox. And I think the paradox of it is it looks so secure and tight and needy. If you're in this ordered top state that makes all the decisions type of thing, it doesn't seem like it's a lot of security, but the truth of it is, is that it's only secure for a short period of time and it's incredibly fragile to external shocks. Mm-hmm. Anything happens that is shaking it up, and it is going to be a house of cards incredibly fast. Where if you had something that people were more free and it was decentralized and it was a disordered reality of where people get to make their own decisions, and you try to foster a culture in which you want the better virtues, the better angels, like we keep talking about, to emerge, that's the purpose of tradition. That's the purpose of religion. Religion, it used to be tradition, there used to be no difference between state and religion which i do not want to go back to i don't want to go back to that i'm not saying that but the purpose of what i'm trying to say is that we came together as a community for certain traditions and we trusted certain people with certain things because they were proven to be trustworthy right like that is an important facet of humanity that we need to get back to is that human to human connection that sense of submitting to a higher sense of something that is keeping us all together in you said something else of uh, turning inward together I really like that. Like this shared sense of community of turning inward together. Like the first time I experienced this undeniable feeling that I don't know what it is, is uh, I, I used to play music in uh, high school a lot with other people. And it's one time I was playing in this garage and all of us just started riffing. And out of nowhere, I swear to God, like I felt like there was just like this frequency we all hit. 
And for like 10 minutes, it was just like a wave. Like none of us could do anything wrong. And it was just like a groove. And that was so beautiful. And I was like, what is that? I was like, I want to get back to that. And then I ended up getting a little too much into drugs because I was like, is that what that was? Like, what was that? Like, do we have to just keep doing drugs to keep doing this? Is that what it is? Um, and then I was playing basketball once and the same thing happened again. But it was for like a, like a play. Like I stole the ball. I went up dish it to somebody else he dished it to somebody else and even though i wasn't still near where the ball was because you know i was like stealing it on defense i felt connected to what was happening down the court and for a split second i felt that exact same feeling again i was like what is that and now i think it's when we're all connected i'm going to use your words turning a word together we're all completely disembodied in that moment because if the second that one of us thought about what we were doing it would have been gone right but it was just like a snap of whatever it is. And I mean, I've seen it now at music festivals. I think that that's why people really like music festivals is because we're all just disconnecting. We're turning our phones off. We're completely getting out of the world, right? We're no longer in the world anymore. You know, we're, 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 we're no longer of the world anymore. We can't be because we're in a music festival. It's going to be tough conditions. You know, it's going to be, uh, you know, there's no, there's not the things, the luxuries, the comfort that we hold on to anymore. And we're all here together. We have to accept that. And because, and through accepting that, we have the opportunity for things that are else other, outside of what we normally would get that can bring us into that same frequency. Like I think music will do that. But most of these traditions have music or some type of bodily movement involved in it to get everyone together on the same rhythm. And I think to your point of we've thrown or are, we think that uh, we're kind of in the Star Trek world. I really like that. Um, we think we got here through logic and reason and as if we just like are the most pinnacle of all of it, but we've really done is thrown away everything that got us here. And through doing that, we're living a more hollow and less sanctimonious life. And until we are able to square those two, we're never going to be wise and we're not going to be able to understand the incredible destructive force that we've created in all the different systems. Like, let's just say we don't have nuclear weapons anymore. We still have fucking plastic. And that's doing a, a, a more terrible job of killing us faster than that is, right? We have all, we have glyphosates that's just going, that's just like fucking our soil and our entire like ecosystems. Like, you know what I mean? Like we have all these problems that are still going to be around because we haven't thought about our place in the world and our, our place in reality and where this all comes from. If it just comes from, you know, this comp competitive sense of things, well then of course we can just keep destroying everything. What the fuck matters? Yep. Absolutely. Um, continuously focused on things that you want and need, right? Uh, instead of maybe what other people want and need. And when you're thinking about others, what you're not doing is thinking about yourself. And that's a big part of it, right? So that's division from purpose is as soon as you go starting, I want, I need, me, me, me. I want sex. I want drugs. I want to be stimulated. I want to be entertained. Then you're not turning again to the purpose, the natural purpose there. It, it then becomes reality becomes your playground and you're entitled to being serviced. And that's a big, big problem with modern day humans. Everyone's entitled to what they define as perfection or their own little slice of heaven on earth. You're not entitled to a damn thing when you come into this world. You've got to, you've either got to earn it, right? You got to do the hard work or you have to accept what you're given. None of us are entitled because nobody comes into this world and reinvents and does all the hard work that all the previous generations have done before us. Yeah. 
right? And, and that's lucky. To, to speak to your point, you like all you have to do is go on Reddit and you see the hubris and the patronization of people going, "Oh, well, people in the past in antiquity." You could, Reddit triggers me hardcore, right? It's always the same kind of <laughs> annoying little pimply-faced no tween who's who's just like, I have an argument with the same same person over and over again in my head, regardless of the user, um, which is probably not healthy. I have to keep Reddit <laughs> at a far far distance. But um, anyway, not to get too far off track. But uh, yeah, it's it's the, almost like like the modern day the, the youth the people who are online the most who live there seem to assume that all of these things taken they, they take it for granted as though well yeah it's obvious obvious duh you know all this stuff in antiquity that are holding us down why are we still thinking about this it's all so obvious it's like none of this is obvious you all have no idea or understanding as to the amount of work that had to go in to get the herd of cats of humanity to start coalescing around some very fundamental and basic principles before that, it was, I will stab you in the face with the sharpest stick I can find so I can take what you have because I want it. That's like the majority of humanity up to like maybe a thousand years ago. That's even after Christianity and all that. That's was the norm. Heck, I'd say probably within just the last few hundred years, it's still the norm to go around and might makes right. Even after Christianity came in, because all Christianity did was sprinkle the flavor of truth across the, you know, uh, across the bread of life and humanity. But it doesn't mean that every little bite and every little instance is going to be covered with this. It's up to us to make to put that truth to use, right? These universal truths. But just because we know it doesn't mean we're going to make use of it. And no. it's that discipline problem. It's that that issue of we're the ch children of, of of advanced civilization, right? We're in the infant stages here, and we need time and effort and energy in order to mold every single person on earth to a point where it's a perpetual evolution of you know civilization itself in terms of how we interact with each other how we view our place in this world in this finite time of existence we call a life and all of that's been just thrown out the window because we don't have to because we've got creature comforts and distractions it's very similar to how the romans would do stuff when they would conquer people uh they would come in and go hey didn't you know that you're at a threat from somebody over the horizon that you've never met before we're going to bring you all of this technology and you're going to give us tribute or else and they're like thanks for the aqueducts and roads here's half our food because if we don't give it to you now you're going to crush us and take us as slaves they didn't ask for it but they come in and go look at all these blessings now do what i say because you owe me forever that's that's what technology and the economy and politics have done to us they've enslaved our will to and capability to live a natural life according to how we feel and want to live it versus what the system demands in order to keep it working because again it's we, we've realized that by turning down the variables of how we could live life naturally and peacefully into the fullest for what it should be now it's better for us to just toe the line and be good plow horses and do the heavy work to keep the cycle of you know stability quote unquote even though it's not stable look at all the terrible wars look at just just the last century the 20th century and what it did that's what materialism capitalism and all these isms that are focused on keeping and propping up these frameworks of creature comforts instead of the risks of freedom and free thought right like the greeks the ancient greeks would be their minds would be blown thinking about how we are all coming together under this apparatus of rules and laws and all of that, they would go, wow, you all are slaves. I believe the people in antiquity would point to all of us and go, you all are enslaved to your system. You're not free, not even fricking close. So, and most people are, are birds that have learned to love their cage. 
because it's a lot better to be told, we've got it figured out. We know what's going on. The textbooks are all right. Ignore the fact that every year we have a revision and everyone comes back and go, you know that shit we taught you last year? Turns out that's not actually true. Buy the book to see the new norm of what the, the cabal of experts have defined as the new, the new way of seeing things. Nobody's yeah. right because we haven't figured it out and we never will. But we've put ourselves in a box to say that we are right, and only when it's earth-shattering do we kind of sort of integrate this new definition, but not enough to bring the system down. And then we have to ask ourselves each individually, is this the way I want to live my one time that I have on earth? In this iteration, whatever it means, maybe it's all for nothing. And we really are have a limited limited experience that's extremely valuable because you're here for a little blip and then you're gone forever to me that terrifies me more than the idea of hell or anything else because that really means that this is this is all you get and you better make the best of it and we're not we're following the trajectory of history of the 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 framework itself suppressing and squashing the great mysteries and capabilities of living a natural life. I'm talking like Native American out on the plains, living one with nature. And I mean, sure, maybe you'll die earlier from some type of a disease or whatnot, but does that necessarily mean you lived a less fulfilling life? Is a good life just living into triple digits? So that way you're, you have a machine breathing for you in your last moments, you're in some white sterile hospital bed and you're you know slipping away. And when the doctors have gotten to the point, well, well, your insurance policy won't pay us anymore, so I guess it's time to let you go. <laughs> yeah, what is, this? is that the, a good life? It's the Alexander the Great. Uh, you know, he said he'd rather live a short life of glory than a long life of obscurity. Um, yeah. No, I mean, we, we don't even, I don't even feel like as a culture, uh, I feel like we worship death now. I feel like I see like so much like demon shit everywhere that just like blows my mind. I, don't, I think it's like some Jungian collective consciousness that we don't realize because we're all trying to collectively consume and stave off the thought of death that I feel like it's emerging everywhere. Um, Cause we don't really think about it. We're like one of the things that's so interesting about, I mean, by the way, you, you just like pretty much made the case that we need a new Jesus that, you know, that <laughs> he's coming back, man. He said he's coming back for a reason. Uh, yeah. That, that uh, you, uh, you, what you laid out was um, we need to change the system, but we can't. And which is the same framework of what I said Jesus was trying to do, which is yeah. uh, find a way that each person can individually transcend their experiences. And then through the course of time, that will change everything, which is actually what I think we should be focusing on and doing. Um, but it, yeah, I, I really don't think everything is hollow. That doesn't actually worry me anymore. I used to actually just fully subscribe to the fact that I thought, after you die, like there's something that happens, but now I don't even think that I think there's, I think life and death, like birth and death are the exact same thing. We don't know. We don't have any memory. We don't know where we came from when we were, before we were born. And I don't think we're, I think whatever that is, is the same as what's going to happen on the other side. Um, it, in order to be, you have to, at one point not have been and in order to not be, you have to have at one point been logically it, it doesn't vary on that. You cannot be one indefinitely without at one point having been the other. So if you were not and could and will eventually be, it's fair to conclude that if you were to be, you're going to not be only to come around again, right? And then, of course, does it mean to be alive? 
there's got to be energy there. We know that. And energy is never created nor destroyed. It's simply transferred from one state or another. As far as I'm concerned, the laws of physics kind of point out how that, like, this is a closed system that was intentionally designed, right? Like water in a vessel, and you're shaking it up, and you're watching stuff go there. The water neither goes or comes back, but there's this, you know, there's this motion in the self-contained system uh, and whatever it means to be alive, we know for a fact the energy that is involved in that isn't going away. It's just going somewhere else. And the question is, is if it's not heat, you can measure someone, right? If they die, it's not like they suddenly instantaneously go cold as the soul leaves, right? So where does that energy go? Are we just the accumulation of the body heat? No, the body heat's where it's at. It's in order to keep invaders out. That's why we're at a homeostasis of 98 degrees. The body has evolved in order to keep bacteria and stuff at bay. So we're not our body heat. Other things live, like cold-blooded animals. They, they can survive with, you know, much smaller, much lower body heat. So we're not that. So what is it? I don't know. We don't know yet. Um, but it's by accepting the fact that we don't know and it's something else, that's the first step. Of which yes. science probably isn't going to do. So you've said something. I took a note, right? I took uh -huh. a cue from you. Back when you were talking about like participating in group events, like when you're playing with your band or you're on the basketball court and you're like, what is this? That is what the Catholics call spiritual discernment, spiritual consolation, right? So, or you can call it Zen, right? You're getting into your Zen moment. You're living a natural life or what they would call proximity to the divine. You're, you're, you're opening yourself up and you're receiving, you're turning the channel to that of the good divine. And you're like, Ooh, what's this tune on the radio of my soul that I'm feeling? That's great. Or flow right? state. That's like the modern new age yes, flow state. Like a, is the a spiritual term. flow state. Yep. The thing is, is that it's changing, right? Almost like a, like a radar sweep. So you have to keep changing your channel. And generally the way that the, that I feel that the Lord works, right? When I call the Lord, put my own personal beliefs out there is that he's trying to coach you, right? Like the divine is trying to coach us so that way we can rise above the same way that a, um, like a, like an instructor, a health instructor does, uh, you know, when you go to the gym, right. And you're like, oh, okay, well, we're going to throw some more weights on. I know that you don't think you can do it, but you can. So what happens is the thing, the work is those moments between consolation, right. And they call that spiritual desolation. And then what they really do is they try to call that the enemy. It's Satan. It's evil. But what that is, I mentioned it before, is a separation from you to the simplicity of being. Anything that gets you to go, aha, I'm not thinking about being holy, which means I don't need anything. So I'm not killing myself and everyone around me chasing my next high, getting food into my belly, that, you know, even though I don't need it to survive, you know, going out and cheating on my spouse because I need sex, right, or my lusts. Being, letting your will be a slave to your fleshly, earthly desires is, is, is a definition of desolation, diabolical desolation. And the Greek of diabolical means basically to separate or to cause discord. That's mm -hmm. what diabolical means, basically to split things into multitudes. So it's diabolical, your sinful natural needs, which is lust and anger and selfishness and stealing. Every time you do something like that, you're separating yourself from the purity of wholeness. I like to remove the term God and Jesus and just get out of there because they're trigger words for people. It's the same argument, and then you can start integrating these terms, which are like, see, these people back in the day, they thought about the same shit too, and they made some some advances. So maybe you shouldn't just give it a one pass over because it's the bandwagon thing to shit all over it. Let that golden opportunity for enlightenment pass you by. 
because you'd rather swim with downstream instead of up it. Yes, totally. And and the thing is, is, is for how clever our generation and the Zoomers and all of that, and even Gen Xers too, um, you know, think that they are when it comes to religion, you ask them, well, how much have you studied it? You know, big, big saucer, like, you know, deer in the headlight looks, and you're like, no, nothing, really. It's like, so that wouldn't be any different than me, like, looking at a math book and going, I know differentially, uh, you know, calculus now. Because I looked at it and went, oh, okay, that looks good. And then you just throw the book aside and you didn't put in any of the work to train your mind, right? So that way you can recognize truth from falseness, right? I can write an equation on the board filled with a bunch of shit. And if I can just convince people it's right, then I might get the same kind of rewards from it, or, you know, praise and money and whatnot, maybe a job, even though it's just crap. Because so much of our existence is about perceptions and inter interpre interpretations and all that, and not really results, true verifiable results. So in this case, the result would be peace and true happiness. And if you're truly at peace and in true happiness, it doesn't matter where you are, as we've talked before. You could be in prison, right? You, uh, like, like think, think like a Nelson Mandela thing, where you live in completely in isolation and you could still be at peace because they can't take the one God-given natural thing that you have, which is your soul and your mind. They can't invade it. You wound yourself when you react to the world of stimulation and your situation around you. You're Even creating you your dying, prison. You're actually you, you creating really your prison that yep. will eventually become so complete the prisoner will not know that he is locked up. I'm quoting David Foster Wallace's This is Water speech there, oh. like, which is, I think, 100%. Like, he also says in there, everybody worships. Either you worship beauty and then you get upset when it fades. You worship your intellect. You get upset when you're always afraid of being a fraud. Once again, I'm pretty much quoting him. And the purpose of that is that if you start, in my opinion, studying religion and looking for the universal truths within religion or theology or spirituality or however, whatever framework and vocabulary gets you into it, if you start looking at it and, and look for the source text, like the thing that I, the example I always use is like data and processed foods. You want the whole foods. You want the broccoli you don't want the breakfast bars, right? The breakfast bars is an amalgamation of a bunch of shit that's put together, right? Whenever you see a single data point, you don't want a single data point. You want to know what they did to get to that data point because that data point is processed food, right? The same is with processed ideas. Like some of the things I have issue with some people, while I think they are doing a lot of good, there are people on Instagram, I'm sure, doing a lot of good. Things that are problems that I have with a lot of people who are like coaches or spirituality people or people that uh, really bother me um, is that they, they, they have insights for sure. And they have a lot of, I'm sure study behind them. But the thing is, is that if where you get your information and understanding of spirituality, if it's from those people, it's no different than the ministers that you don't like, right? They, they're giving you processed information and sometimes you can get a lot of insight for that, but you can also get a lot of insight if you go directly to the source and try to interpret, understand, and contextualize like the historicity of what is this, what's the culture and idea of this ideas that came around it, the people that came that this came from, and then all of a sudden you start can start seeing the truth of things. And what I mean, what I really mean by the truth of things is the paradox, the romance between what you know and you have no idea about, and then that can give you a framework to understand the people that right now our culture has just blown up as if it's everybody. Like everybody in religion, every minister is a is a televangelist, right? And that's like what we perceive everybody as. Like every person who's super into religion is a nutcase and just is like super susceptible to everything. Like for me, being raised Catholic, 
you know, the prototype that I saw most frequently in my church was the people who were most involved with it happen to be the ones that seem to be the most sinful and, you know, like undercutting everybody. Right. But really that what those are is that it's just another combination of the increase of information that we have and our evolutionary bias towards seeing the bad things. We select for bad things because that's what's going to hurt us. So we don't notice the good things. So we reject the people who are Christians that are everywhere or whatever Muslims that are everywhere that are doing great things and have a strong moral code um, to what it is. And instead, we, we do that and judge as opposed to actually understanding what is the fiber of the truth here? Because the truth is, if you don't think about these things, you're going to get a slave to them regardless. You're going to build yourself a prison and you're going to worship something. So what I try to keep at the forefront, which is once again from that speech, is choose what it is that I worship, right? Choose what it is that I want to invest my time in and my ethics into and my framework for understanding the world around me. And through doing that and through stillness to bring it back again, um, I totally fail at this all the time, right? Like I suffer, I suffer from depression and I'll just like completely go off the rails and just seemingly can't stop it, right? Um, but the point is just to try, like all it is is to try, right? Yep. And, you know, I think some things that turn people off from Zen or Buddhism or all these things is that these people that are talking to you seem like they have it all figured out and they're already there. But the truth is, is that they're still trying to, right? They're still fallible for everything. Um, they're human, right? Like supposedly Jesus transcended, supposedly Siddhartha transcended, you know, became the divine. But the, once again, one of the issues that I have with modern Christianity is we interpret Jesus' ascension into heaven as he was both God and, you know, the father, you know, the, he was the father and the son and he was going in his earth, you know, his body was becoming part of that and going back into to oneness with all of it, right? But really what that was, was a metaphor for all of us, right? We're all eventually have a path towards becoming back and connected with what he would say is God, what I would say is like universal oneness, like whatever it is that's connecting this all together and wherever your, your mind goes when you meditate and you lose your sense of self and you have that ego death, whatever that is, I think is also what happens when we die. And in my mind, it's not intermediated by something, but I feel like we all should try to come to that own conclusion and understanding ourselves and try as opposed to rejecting and throwing the baby out with the bathwater, which is kind of, well, I mean, honestly, we have a lot of religion in our current society. We have more religion now, I would say, than ever. I think religion is more ingrained in most Western culture than ever before because it's just consumerism. It's commerce. It's individualism, narcissism. It's just feeding this beast of distraction and honestly, like pleasure, like we were going back to, that is the religion of today. The religion of today is selfishness and it's yeah. incredibly pervasive. Yeah. Epicureanism one, no doubt. <laughs> yeah. yeah the bastardization of it. Yeah. Yeah, and you're right. Yeah, the absolute worst part of it, the the, the whole, it, it, well, all of these things. The common thread here is servicing. Um, you know, is the in, the intentional path that we've taken down to to seeking pleasure, as we're talking about with Epicureanism. But it's also about following the path of least resistance. So we're talking here about a lot of what you were you were just talking about requires a hell of a lot of work and effort. I mean, all I do is read. That is my hobby is studying history and all that. I don't have any kids, right? I've got a, a wife and some pets. Um, and, and I hard, I find it difficult between just working and 
you know, walking the dogs and spending quality time with my with, with the wife, I still have limited time to do the reading I need. So that's that's without kids or any other hobbies or friends. I don't have any friends, you know, I'm just eh, whatever. And so it's, it's pretty much just me and my spare time. And I still have a hard hard time finding enough of a continuous period of time to really get into my flow of studying you know as a you know i turned 40 this year right so i can't imagine what it's like for everyone else who's got a bunch of kids and they got to take them here and there and so that way they're 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 seeking a breath of fresh air of distraction from their lives so they don't take the opportunity with the limited free time they have to go ooh, i think i'll go read the bible because you know in order to get something out of it you have to put something into it it's a law of physics. If you want to talk about energy and energy systems, it's philosophical for us when you hear, you know, oh, well, you know, school is what you make of it, right? You get out of it what you put into it. Same thing with any anything in life. If it's truly worth having and has value, you're going to have to work for it. You absolutely are. If you want to be healthy and look sexy, guess what? You got to get your ass into the gym and actually work because that's the reality of it. You want to go from being poor to being wealthy without being a criminal? And even help, even criminals, crooks, in order to get there, they still have to work really hard, which is kind of some, ironic. Some criminals have, are the hardest workers I've ever met. Like exactly, which is so funny. <laughs> it's like if you just put half the energy into making a legitimate living, just going to work you know, 40 hours a week versus dealing with all of the threats and work and dealing with the court system, you'd live a longer, more blissful life. But hey, it's the immediate gains that are important. Our our country runs like that. 90 days, 90 day cycle for living in America. Every quarter, this is a beginning boom and bust cycle four times a year. Uh, So everything in our lives are are boiling down to immediate repetitive cycle of, of forgetting what just happened. So washing away the consequences of the actions that we just took, right? Oh, it's a brand new slate, new quarter. All that shit doesn't matter. We're going to plow ahead, right? Victory, 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 victory. Uh, always. Well, you can't always win. And then it's like, no, 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 don't, don't tell us that. That's not good. We, we're not going to accept that, right? We got to gussy up this failure and sell it off as victory because we don't want to lose profits. We got to lie, cheat, steal, do whatever we have to do. And I'm like, well, does that really service us? How can we truly inspect and adapt? Going back to agile here, right? Um, <laughs> how can we expect and adapt if you're being, if you're, if you're delusional and you're, you're, you're kind of, you know, burying your head in the sand and not accepting the reality of the situation will never grow and change but it's it's hard to come back and to be introspective and to be honest with yourself and i think that's where the discipline fails we'll never get there until people can easily turn around and be like how am i fucking this up right how am i messing my life up how am i doing this to myself instead in in today's society there's a marketplace in in every discipline to sell us a solution right or like you said, a guru, a self-help guru. Oh, well, if you buy my course, then you can help yourself. You know, Or the pharmaceutical company, swallow these fucking pills and maybe it'll help you. Maybe you'll shit your pants. I don't know. Let's play observational <laughs> science, the wheel of fortune, and see what happens, right? Or you know, this, it, it, there's a marketplace to get people to help themselves when all they need to do is turn inwards, right? And there's thousands of years of gurus and experts who have already written it down. It's all over the internet. You go to any library and get these books from these masters, but it takes a lot of work to sit down and go, what the fuck are these people talking about? Let me think about it. Let me go. And, you know, there are people through hundreds and thousands of years who have written books that distill and give their own way, their interpretation of these sources of truth, these appeals to authority that very smart and dedicated people have ascended the mountain 
of self fulfillment and enlightenment where they get up at the top and they look down and they smile at everyone and go, y'all don't know what you're fucking missing. Yeah, it's a bumpy <laughs> ride, but it's a hell of a lot better up here than it is down there. And most people don't want to do it. They stay at base camp. And it's funny because we've talked about a number of things. You're talking about like maintaining awareness and all that. And I immediately thought to St. Ignatius for his book that he put out, which is called The Daily Examination of Consciousness. That's, that's, a, that's what I do right? As a practicing Christian. And that's what a lot of other spiritual disciplines say, which is you take time out of every day to basically think about what you did during the day, how you could have done it better, and what you're going to do to improve tomorrow. Boom. That's it. And that was revolutionary when St. Ignatius come out. Everyone was like, oh my God, I never thought about that. Maybe I should take 10 minutes to think about my fucking day critically. You know, and they were like, woo, and they made him a saint for it. He also did a lot of great stuff, but like, that's what he's remembered for. And you'd think it was some spell casting and it's like, nope, give yourself like 10 minutes and just think about <laughs> shit critically, right? Uh, you know, don't solution, don't do nothing. Just be absolutely honest with yourself. And that's the first step. Most people don't want to be honest with themselves, right? They went, oh, it's someone else's fault. So, you know, oh, well, it's, it's systemic racism, or it's sexism, or it's classism, or it's whatever ism, some other excuse as to why I can't make my life enjoyable. Someone else's fault. And we're never going to get better until we go, okay, you're, you're right, there's probably odds stacked against you in society, but that is not the primary reason why you're miserable and can't make something out of your life. You are the reason that you're miserable and can't make something out of your life. Either you're setting your standards way beyond what you can do and wherever you landed in life, right? Maybe trim your standards down and find a new way to get value and bliss and pleasure from the other parts of life that aren't a car with really nice rims or a big ass house in a gated community or a 401k that is in the tens of millions or whatever people chase that are, that are temporary, right? Fleeting uh, and strictly of this world. Because again, we've defined that to be and your reality is not part of this material world. So what the fuck does having this pointless money that you can't even do anything about? We don't even have money anymore. We have a digital bit on some server somewhere. So it's, you can't do anything with that voltage in the, storage of the integrated circuit that means nothing you can't burn it you can't melt it down to make something pretty can't do anything so we've been conditioned to put all of our value and trust into something that has literally got no value unless everyone comes together and go yep it has value so as soon as enough people go fuck that i'm not doing it anymore then the whole system crashes it's like we either all bought in or it doesn't work yeah oh my god so many things I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do one quick thing, and then I'm gonna keep going back. Uh, you said some people would just want to stay at base camp, and what you were saying about uh, how difficult it is in people's lives to with kids and everything to like not continue to be of this world. To keep using that paradigm, you know, like reach for their phone and things like that. Um, the historian uh, Felipe Fernandez Armesto, who I've had in the pod several times, um, he said this the first time he was on, and. Every, every time I talk with him, uh, I always bring it up and I'm always like, you know what you told me? I think about it every day. And that's uh, comfort is the enemy of well-being. And we reach for comfort, right? But I think one of the truths is that is that's actually the enemy of you doing well, right? Like if it's I'm uncomfortable with this certain situation or uh, having to, you know, be harder at, at, you know, pushing myself into discipline into something that that's actually f towards being well-being, obviously, like, we can split hairs into what exactly that could surmise is like some things are uncomfortable and you should not do, but comfort itself is something that is, you know, like the, 
the older times are called like softens you, but I would say it's like decays you. It, 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 it starts to decay, you know, who you are and the, the essence of it is. And, you know, something uh, I want to come back to the accepting reality thing, but what you were saying of um, how am I doing this to myself? Like, you know, these things that like this comfort even I'm reaching for is destroying me if it's sugar or if it's, um, I mean, processed foods or uh, drugs or uh, caffeine, even whatever it is that you're reaching for. Um, you know, you're doing it to yourself, but also like how you outwardly are into the world and how you interface with other people and how you present to them is actually destroying yourself again, right? Like, you know, I've had experiences where people have, you know, come to me and, and been in like terrible situations and people have said terrible things to them. And it's like, I, you know, it's like really rocking them. And they're like, how am I supposed to, you know, get through this and get over this? And something I've said in those situations is, I know it sounds paradoxical and it doesn't sound right, but that's actually a reflection of themselves and their own thoughts to themselves that is coming out at you. Like maybe parts of what they said is true, but that's actually their inside selves talking to themselves that just so happen to be directed at you. And, you know, how we interface with ourselves is how we end up interfacing with the rest of the world, which goes back again to what you were saying, which is we should all be looking inward. And how did you put it? Turning inward together. I love that. Um, it's going to probably end up being the, the title of this episode. That's so good. Um, and, you know, I think something I think about a lot, and I think I'm close to having something to collect my thoughts into a medium, but I think the way to get past all of our tribulations of the moment, if it's political divisions or anything else, is to, instead of saying, what are the facts that we agree on? Let's come to an agreeing, agreement on what is reality. And let's accept a common understanding of reality together. And then let's go from there. Like, I think that's what we should do. Like, let's accept the fact that we are, um, there is a material world and there are barbarians that can come at our gates, right? That's okay. That is a thing. There's also toxic thoughts and toxic patterns that can be the same as barbarians that can destroy ourselves and destroy us collectively as people. So let's, let's accept that. But let's also accept that there's something that we don't fucking understand that seems to be part of this, which is consciousness, right? Like all of this material world that we, this realm of forms and features that we move around and assemble and create all of these different things that we create is driven by something that seems to come from somewhere else. And like I was saying before, it seems to be awfully useful to submit power to something higher because it seems like it gets us further. Just like deterministic, you know, scientific measurements and our whole basis of science actually breaks down when you really start getting down to it. And there's a lot of questions that you don't know, like, you know, Gerald Pollack, Dr. Gerald Pollack, I've had him on about water and you know the, the story of water is totally not what we think it is. And it breaks down quite a bit. If you just start saying, instead of hand waving the rare exceptions, you start saying like, no, we have to incorporate that into this. Right. Um, so let's understand what, what things are fundamentally at that level and the space of what we will never know and the space of what we know and what is driving all of this. And can we get to a shared experience where we can turn inward together and then come out the other side and say, what, 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 what are the next things? What are the things that we want to do next to change things here? Right. Cause I, I would imagine it's going to end up looking a lot different than what our priorities are now. And oh, yeah. that, you know, the culture can shift towards that. But I think we, once again, to call back to Jesus and, you know, his second coming, <laughs> it's going to take, um, some kind of movement over time is once again, I think 
you know, this, the same vein of what I just said is something else I'm kind of trying to wrap into a medium is thinking in a thousand year cycles. Like mm-hmm. you're so obsessed with what you said, like three months and quarters. Like, no, we need to think about a thousand years and Damn. whatever this is, like this movement of, we need to make everything better. We need to save the world, save yourself. And that's planned for what a thousand years from now is going to look like. And then, you know what, tomorrow will be a brighter day. Yeah, that's powerful stuff. Absolutely. I agree 100%. And and when you think that everything revolves around you, then you don't want to sacrifice for anyone else because it's like, oh, well, if I don't get my own, then I lose out. It's like, well, th- you know, there are generations that came before you who were thinking about people other than themselves. That's why we have shit that we can share, right? And then you, if you don't think about the future generations, you're screwing them. And that's that's kind of what we're doing right now, which is ironic that we have m- access to more information than any other generation before us, and it's diving, it's driving us deeper into our holes. It's dividing us more. That's probably because Paradox. it's a flip coin where, where yes, we have access. So we have access to information. It doesn't mean it's good information. So the signal to noise ratio has gone way, way. Well, I guess that's technically down. Right, so we've yes. got less signal. Well, it's an inverse proportion. So we've yeah. gotten less signal to higher noise. So it's um, and that takes critical thought. So that's why you have mainstream media and all of that, and the problems with places like Reddit and Twitter, where you've got a bunch of crap out there, either for the lulls or because it's intentional to keep us divided, to keep us ignorant. Um, it serves people's interests more to keep us duped and to keep us you know, basically distracted than it does to be like the altruistic, hey, there's something more here. Let's kumbaya and come together like Jesus. And they literally nailed him to the cross for it. They might, <laughs> the you know government I mean? did it too. All Let's he not did was that. walk around and go, be excellent. He was a Bill and Ted. Be excellent to one another. I wrote that to someone on Reddit who was crapping all over Christianity, you know, it was just like, oh, those ancient Christians and their stuff. And I'm like, all he did, Jesus was Bill and Ted. Be excellent to one another. That's yeah. what Bill and Ted came back and said, right? And that's really, you read the Beatitudes, that's why he's saying, if you want to find me in divinity come down to the to the to the dirt that you look down upon and that's where you'll find me because those are the people who have realized there's more to life than materialism they have they have no choice they're in a land of suffering which is internal so that means they're going they're already focused internally and that's where you'll find them you won't find them in the mansion house of the tax collector or the the lead pharisee Right of the of the Sanhedrin, you know, you won't find it there. You won't find God and divinity there because they're too distracted by the bright, shiny objects in front of them in this temporal, temporary existence. Which is funny, even if there is no God or all that, why so obsessed? Why waste our very limited, precious time on Earth chasing shit we can't take with us? Because we don't want to act like it's going to end. Exactly, it's delusional. It's delusional, yes. which is how a child thinks. That's like a cover my eyes and ears and la la la. Mortality is not a thing. I'll live forever, so I'm going to you know chase these things which only embellish a temporary existence. They do nothing to nurture my soul, to make me feel like a better person, because that's a lot of work. And it's a lot easier to play the grifting system, get this worthless money and exchange that. Because what you're really doing is you're trading money is a trade-off for suffering, right? So you've got this money and you buy someone else's suffering. Probably now it's way down the the supply chain, probably in some third world country in a sweatshop. But that's what you're exchanging. You change the convenience to get this consumable thing. I didn't have to suffer for it. I didn't have to go dig out the ore and put it all together like a craftsman. So I'm taking this money and I'm buying someone else's suffering. 
And in many that cases, now we're buying point. the suffering from future generations with like microplastics and shit that you talked about, which is it's one reason why I'm not having any kids. <laughs> I want to curse them to the mistakes of this and previous generations so that they can pay for our laziness and short-sightedness, self-centeredness. Someone, someone's got to help make it better. That's my response to that. Maybe uh, the divide, Maybe that's what will bring us all together is having to deal with that. This could be part of, quote unquote, the plan, but I don't believe in predestination. But this could be the, the rails that we have to. It could be through this suffering, right? We could bring life to the edge of oblivion, and only then will we come together. Just like, you know, you won't know, you won't get stronger once you've plateaued when you're working out until you, like, kill yourself getting that one max rep. And then for some reason, boom. Now your body isn't like, okay, I did that. It's time to kick it up, and we're going to put on more muscle. That happens when you're working out. You plateau, and it's only by really pushing yourself and shocking your system do you, quote-unquote, get more gains. Same thing spiritually. And it's funny, when you're talking about, when we're talking about the, uh, spiritual consolation and all that, there's desolation, which is what you've kind of been talking about here, where it's that chasing that we said it's always been there. The Catholics call that the enemy. You even use the term the enemy. That's what they call it. That's what Ignatius called it is the enemy, and they, they call that Satan or evil, the natural diabolicalness out there. And I, it could you could say like philosophically, spiritually, it's like a mist that we're all swimming in, breathing it in, constantly feeling it, but we choose to ingest it and to act on it. That's the will. That's the slavery to to the flesh, and that's what they talk about. That's desolation that separates you. That's diabolical. It's separating you from the simplicity of just being. Being here in this world, not of it. I can't control what's going on. I can't control the weather. So I'm just going to, I'm going to zen it out. And as soon as you start to grab onto those thoughts that we've been taught, we're kind of bringing it all full circle here. Uh, that's when you get spiritual desolation. And the crazy part about it is I do believe it's intentional. If there is a force outside the realm of being that created us, there's nothing to say that that's the end-all be-all. Now, God created everything in order for that to all logically work out, but who's to say this is the only creation out there? If God is infinite, then it's more than likely statistically probable that there are other existences out there because you literally have all of time to cycle through that probability factor. And eventually, kind of like Rick and Morty, there's enough probability and infinity out there to have multiple situations of every degree. So who's to say if you're outside of that, of this bubble of what we call existence, that there's not something out there pushing on the other side to be like, you know what? I've got an axe to grind against God because I'm not quite God, but I'm wise enough. I'm high enough up the mountain of, of perspective and truth to know that. I think he's a dick, so I kind of want to prove him wrong, right? And if you know, if you know, like the story of Job in the Old Testament, that's where God proves to okay. Satan, where he's like, he's like, hey, Job loves me. He's a good, he, he's a good Israelite, right? He's a good person, and he's got his heart in the right place. So go ahead, mess with him, you know, take all of his possessions, literally push him to the brink of death, and you won't break him. And he doesn't. He comes really close, and he basically flails around, and then his friends show up, and they're trying to tell him how it's his own fault. And he's like, fuck all of you. And at the very end, God comes back, and he's like, look, he's right. He never lost his faith in me, but I'm the one who kind of caused this, so it's all good. He, you know, Job was proved right in the end, and so was God, right? Because Satan has been like, oh, well, he's going to turn on you the moment that you start taking away all these blessings. So... That's kind of like the story here that there could very well, it's possible, just as much as it's possible that there could be a creator, it's just as probably possible that in the same scenario, the same vein, there is an anti-creator that wants to kind of like, just like there's an, 
opposites, right? Positive and negative. There could be creation and there could be anti-creation. And it's up to us to climb out of the bottom, right? Where we're, we're kind of trapped in this anchor of materialism where we're being bombarded. There's a receiver. So we pick up on these vibrations that trap the will. And in Christianity in particular, there's a combination between the will and the soul. The will is like wrapped up around the soul, like a nut inside the fruit. Um, and it corrupts it, right? That, that those, natu- those desires, that kind of ether of evil, so to speak, right? That, that constantly gives us, hey, why don't you do this for yourself? Ooh, that feels good. Why don't you do this for yourself? Oh, that's nice. Doesn't that feel good? And isn't it funny every time you give in to those things, the very first thing after you get the pleasure is the chase for more. Yes. We're never satisfied, ever. You, you eat, and guess what? You're going to be hungry again in just a few hours. You have sex, guess what? You're going to want sex again in a few hours. You even mentioned it before when you're playing the music with the drugs, and you're like, whoa, is that what's going on here? I want more. I want more of it. You're chasing the high. And it's because you want, I want, I want, I want. And that's what leads to diabolical separation, or as the Catholics call, spiritual desolation. And you get these different paths where you go longer and longer without it. And then you get to a point where you're like, I don't need spiritual stimulation at all. I am holy. And that when I'm whole, it means I need, I need nothing, right? If you're whole, what else can you add to it? So how do you have desires? That's what the term holy means to me. So not H-O-L-Y, but almost W-H-O-L-E as an I am whole with myself, my place in the universe, my relationship with my creator and I'm not going to bog myself down or water down this beautiful experience before me, right? With selfish shit that really doesn't matter. You know, my, my selfish, uh, needs for stimulation or pleasure. The universe whole with the universal oneness of all things. Right. Every time you say that, I think of Ace Ventura. <laughs> the galactic universal oneness. Oh my god! Um, Very yeah. Jim Carrey. I like Jim Carrey. He's got he's got some good points. Um, well, we I gotta I gotta run in a minute, but this this was great. And for next time, we'll, we'll have to do this again, and we'll have to pick up with the. Uh, I want to talk about Zoroaster, and uh, my idea that the anti creator is material reality. Yeah. And that. The creator is the immaterial divine. Um, that's my personal uh, idea around that. But I would love to talk about that with you. This was a lot of fun. Thank you. Um, do you have anything you want to say before we cut the recording and we can wrap? No, it's just funny because I think that we literally brought it full circle here because we're talking yeah. about materialism. And that, that kind of winds back up to Neoplatoism where it's this cycle where we're at the bottom and it's supposed to be like like a waterfall and a reverse waterfall. So it's like a waterfall is us emanating down and your soul comes down and kind of gets tangled up in the marshes of materialism. And then like evaporation, you do holy purifying things like self-denial and all of that. And that allows your soul to rise back up. So you're yep. literally separating yourself from the divisions of materialism, which is chasing stimulation. So we literally, we brought it all the way back. We, put we a did. Bow on just, it. Like, just like Dante, we went all through the chambers of hell and back out again. We always do this, though. So I'm looking, for, I'm looking forward to the next one, John. Thank you so much for having me on. I know we're, we're at time here. So, Yeah, thank you so much.